Um, well, uh, heck of a game, heck of a start. Uh, I thought Coach Woodson's team, Vegas, played a heck of a game as well. They kind of had our number a little bit early, and we had a heck of a second half. Defense came up with huge plays, touchdowns. Uh, that was big, of course. Um, thought, uh, you know, I thought The Rock called me there with a couple minutes to go, and he said, if you let them score, that sure would help our TV ratings. So we decided to make it interesting. And <laughs> Welcome to the XFL Insider Podcast. This is your host, Matthew Tyler. We are back for the second episode. We got Jake and Drew with me today, and we also got another a great guy named Chris. Chris comes from Ambush as well. Chris represents the Seattle team. Um, he does some photography, and he's also a professional wrestler. Everybody want to introduce yourselves first? Let's start with Jake and just work our way to Drew and then Chris. Not a whole lot to say. I'm just ready to get to today's action. <laughs> today's action, last weekend's action. I mean, a little bit of everything, everything <laughs> there. There was not a loss of content for for the first week of the XFL, whether it be football or news. We got plenty to talk about today. I don't know if we can even fit it all in between fan and girl and ourselves out over here. We were too busy watching football to worry about the news, but we tried to catch back up. Chris, okay. how's the uh, how's the Seattle weather? Uh, it's awful. It's it's completely <laughs> awful. I, I was out on the road up until about maybe 15 minutes ago or so. And the higher elevation you get, the worse it gets, obviously. But even down where I'm at, where the I mean, I'm 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 pretty lowland where I'm at, and we've got snowflakes the size of silver dollars out here right now. So good grief! Oh, should be that should be a, a hell of a scene up there in Seattle for the for the home opener. Oh, I hope so. Seems pretty intense looking at the reports as well as the pictures. You must have some really dedicated fans to come out for those game conditions. That's for sure. Absolutely. I'd like to think that we've got one of the more passionate fan bases in the United States around here. Not to say that anybody's lacking in in passion or anything like that, but I've seen some Seattle Seahawks games and the fans just sitting in the worst of conditions and still just as happy to be there as they could be. So it might have something to do with the ticket price. I don't know. That's fantastic. (laughs) I cannot wait to see that on TV. The XFL really needs that fan base. From just gauging the games I saw this week, as well as the game I attended, we definitely have the fan base, and we are ready to roll. All right, guys, so let's just get right into it. Let's talk about some news and updates. Most of what I've seen has really come from Twitter. A lot of the guys on here are very informative. People such as Mike Mitchell, as well as Isaiah Saros. Some of these guys took this data, and as well as press releases, and they've released a lot of good info for us fans. Tried to really keep it going on the XFL Insider page. Have you guys had a chance to view any of the stuff I've updated as we went on? You're talking about like the rankings and and like those graphics. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, rankings. Or I'm talking about the firing of GM of the Brahmas. Mr. I mean, well, I mean, if you're talking <laughs> general news, like we've had an onslaught just today, not the weekend. I so. think that may have come across the radar once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can. I guess we can probably start off with the with the GM firing from San Antonio. So uh, I think the XFL is playing this very smart. A couple of us were talking earlier. 
I think not putting out detailed information right off the bat is very intelligent. I think that keeps the uh, media and fans jonesing a little bit for more information. It keeps a little bit of attention, you know, more on the XFL, uh, I think, than actually having some some details put out there in order for it to maybe turn sour and somebody be like, oh, well, that's the XFL for you and have flashbacks to the early 2000s, right, where everybody's in the leagues a criminal and all this all this mess. I think it's very smart to to keep it private, say it's a private matter. So, you know, whatever this guy did, it clearly broke the XFL's uh, policy and he's gone. Simple as that. Right. Be very matter of fact. I think that's good PR uh, play. There's probably one thing that should be noticed just so that there isn't any confusion. The media has said that uh, Mike Sheehan, the guy that was uh, fired on Tuesday by the Brahmas, He's not really the general manager. That's I don't understand that misconception. The way the XFL was structured in 2020 and even now, the head coach, Heinz Ward, is also the general manager. The actual official title that Sheehan had was vice president of business and event operations. That does not mean general manager. So I think things should have probably should have been explained a little bit better. The media of how the XFL is structured because 2020, 2023, it's been the same thing. The head coach is the general manager. And then they they just uh, surround a bunch of other people to handle a lot of the heavy work for them. Very juicy information. Appreciate that. I'll tell you, from reading on Twitter, according to Don Harris, it was a personal matter. It had nothing to do with finances. Can anybody attest to this? Does Are we worried the XFL is going to drop out already? No, no, absolutely not. I think uh, not at all. They've got, no, they've they've got enough money sunk into this from the beginning. Uh the, the way the the way that the XFL closed out last iteration, they did it about as cleanly as you possibly could for what was going on. I think basically everybody took a loss. The NFL took a loss. NBA, you know, all your major sports. I think the the biggest threat I think to the XFL, and this is strictly my opinion, is is the existence of the USFL and the way that they did the college draft. I mean, the XFL is not having any tr- any trouble paying players paying coaches, you know, the attendance numbers are good. There was a tweet out there that was in the rounds about, I don't know if it was specific to the St. Louis market, but the XFL outperforming the Daytona 500 for viewership. The XFL, as far as a spring league goes, is in a very healthy place right now. And I, I don't think, you know, firing a general or not a general manager, as, as Jake pointed out, but but anybody on the staff really. I don't think that that is cause for alarm. If we saw multiple people fall, then I might be asking questions. But, I mean, one-off is nothing. I just kind of want to tie those points together. You were talking earlier about how they're handling it really well by putting it out there, making it clear it wasn't a financial thing and all that other stuff. And then you were just talking about the USFL. I've seen multiple USFL digs at the XFL over the last three weeks including the one during the Super Bowl, which I think everybody knows about. They, they had the commercial and everything. 
I think the XFL has made a brilliant, very wise decision not responding to that and not engaging in that negative back, uh, negative kind of uh, advertising. They've kept their focus on their players, kept their focus on their product, kept their focus on what's going on. The fact that they're beating USFL to the TV marketplace in the first place. They have history. Ignore the USFL. Ignore the negative BS that they're putting out there. Just focus on what you're doing. I think they're doing a really good job with that. So I think overall, the the, the media that they're putting out is, is very good. Yeah, I think. And the only reason that I brought up the USFL at all uh, really as a threat to the XFL is... <laughs> They were very intelligent with how they did the their college draft, right? They're they're literally doing an NFL draft, but at a lower level to say, hey, if you guys strike out at the NFL, we own your rights. So they're exactly. literally reaching forward and grabbing talent from the XFL. No doubt. And the curious thing about it is how's the NFL going to play all this? Right. We're going to see some roster increases on the practice. So who knows? I tell you, I appreciate the opinion. Great. Uh, I also appreciate the information about his real position within San Antonio. Um, let's move on, unless anybody has anything else. So next up, we're going to cover San Antonio. It's going to host the championship game. If you're an XL fan, you've seen this. You know that it, that it was happening the day that it happened. Uh, I personally am very happy about this. I think San Antonio is a great market. The fans are huge, as we saw on TV the other day. As well as how they handle, I don't know, the publicity of the new market it's held very well. Uh, any opinions on this? I'm with you. I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic move. Obviously, the numbers in San Antonio, as far as the fans, I mean, you didn't even have to wait for the attendance announcement in San Antonio when you heard the fans on TV. Like it, it was just otherworldly. They were absolutely fanatical. Close to 25,000 people there on an opening weekend in a sports-starved city like San Antonio. Like, they have the Spurs, yes, but that's all they have. And they've been so hungry for football. Why not throw them a bone? Like, they're coming out and supporting. You've got several other teams that are coming out and supporting in droves. So, and especially it being all your contenders, right, uh, from the, or at least from preseason projections, having pretty good support. Why not throw San Antonio a bone? Give the fans what they want. Give them more football. Build the brand in that area. Move it next year. It'll be, it'll be all good. I think it was kind of a no-brainer. You know, they've got the hub in Texas. There's three teams in Texas. Football is obviously hot in Texas. No-brainer. Keep it in San Antonio. Like you were saying, throw them a bone. Let the marketplace develop and then move it next year if you have to. And, you know, the last time the XFL was even able to hold a championship game was back in 01. And that was in Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles. You know that one of these days, if the XFL and I, you know for certain if things keep going as they are, the XFL will be successful. You know, one of these days going down the road that championship game will be back in Memorial Coliseum. So the fact that you've got this hub situation with three of the teams in Texas being able to play in their own home markets instead of, you know, kind of the way that the USFL has kind of branched out their hub system to four, four cities. Everyone's playing in their markets in the XFL. And if things go continue to go well like i said memorial coliseum championship game will happen down the road we don't know when but it will happen so having the fir first one under this uh new era is a smart decision so the date of the game is may 13th should be a good time 
weather will be beautiful. The fans are going to be rowdy. And I'm excited just to go tailgate if I do not actually go to the game. Next week, we should have a guest, R.C. Woods, on. She's a big San Antonio leader in the fan game. Um, She has the first women-led XFL fan club. So we look forward to talking to her more next week. So next up, let's discuss the beer snake, fellas. (laughs) I'm so ready for this topic. Don't take the beer snake. (laughs) Don't step on snake. Don't confiscate snake. Just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. I was about to say the same thing. We will see this the rest of the season, no doubt. If uh, so, well, I don't know that that's necessarily true. But so, so DC has a huge decision to make because obviously beer is not the only drink that contributes to the beer snake. Probably half, over half, I would imagine, of viewers were wondering where in the blue hell did they get all these lemons? <laughs> there was a vodka drink that came with lemon. I would imagine it's some sort of spiked lemonade, right? That came with these like half lemons. So you could squeeze it into your drink. And as soon as the, as soon as beer snake got confiscated, the war was on. Like it was, you know, sour grapes is a term, but you know, lemons getting thrown at people on the field. That's especially with what happened afterwards with it being a pick six, like the very first play back from the stoppage of play. This is legendary. So DC has a decision to make. They either stop selling the drink and or stop giving lemons with the drink, which cuts down on the beer snake, or they outlaw the beer snake completely and ruin one of the funnest things that XFL has ever had going for it. I don't think they can do either. I think they'll have a riot on their hands. <laughs> right. Agreed. With how meme worthy the limit. I mean, you see you see uh, logos being redone with lemons on the defender shield and. Now lemons are a part of the lore of the team. What do you guys think about the decision they made to leave all that on the field? Like we were talking about that here (laughs) at the house a bit. They didn't pick up a single one. They just left them on the field. That's that's pretty dangerous. I mean, they didn't want to put themselves in that line of fire either. They even moved the players at one point. Yeah. (laughs) So with how many lemons I imagine were on the field, you probably can't stop and pick them all up. I would imagine XFL Operations Center had a huge uh, debacle on their hands and were just like, F it, leave it. Like, <laughs> Hopefully yeah. nobody gets hurt. But I Was think The Rock present for this game? Do you guys know? He showed up for it. I don't know that he stayed the whole time. They, he may have they, stayed the, the whole time. All three were in all four games, at least until the third, because they, gotcha. they had on camera that late in the game at each very, game. Very impressive. That's how you know they're proud of their league, guys. But they should definitely let the fans have the beer snake. Yeah, and... Somebody making twelve bucks an hour on a on a security contract decided he was he or she was going to ruin the fun for everybody and and made the yep. decision to confiscate the snake. That is not how you grow the game. I'm sorry if that beer snake runs over into every suburb outside of D.C. and there's lemons along the way like a yellow brick road. You let the fans have the damn beer snake. Absolutely, totally agree. Yeah, to close with it, I will say. In 2020, that was a staple mark of the XFL. Uh, Whether you liked it or not, you watched that game, you saw that beer snake. And even now, I still have videos where I recorded it because I was impressed. Not much of a beer drinker myself, but I'm impressed. I think what impresses me the most about that is how much media attention that the beer snake itself has got in both, both its appearances. Two appearances, beer snake wins both appearances. I mean, now you can't go to a DC game and expect there not to be a beer beer snake. 
they're going to stack some some kind of cups. Something is happening related to alcohol in that stadium from here on out. I mean, that sounds like a T-shirt. (laughs) It totally is a T-shirt. Great memes are coming from this as well. Absolutely. XFL is known for having rowdy fans. It's just the way it is. I attended the Houston game and we sat in the section uh, 101 for me and my girlfriend. And it got pretty rowdy at certain points as well. The security came and stood close by to stop the fun, but it was <laughs> it, it was it was a great time. I wouldn't take it away from nobody. Next up, let's discuss the TV ratings. This one's definitely interesting. Um, I just happened to dig this up throughout Twitter and a couple of websites. The early game on Saturday, Vegas Arlington, aired on ABC. It got 1.535 million viewers and then getting a 0.29 among the 18 to 49 demo. And then the the evening game on ESPN, Houston, Orlando, got 750,000 on ESPN with a 0.23 in the 18 to 49. And apparently it also simulcast on FX. And they got an extra 390000 for a .11 rating among that same demo. So we're talking, you know, 1.14 million uh, viewers overall uh, just on that one. So let's go to... That didn't include streaming ratings, right? That no, does not That does not include streaming. That This is, uh, I mean, the, the number could be way higher. It's just the information I haven't been able to find, including streaming. Understood. So... Let's go to Sunday uh, afternoon game between the uh, Battle Hawks and the Brahmas, which also aired on ABC. 1.57 million. And here's an interesting little tidbit on that as well, is just in the St. Louis market alone, it outdrew the Daytona 500. So the game drew 111,000 viewers for a 5.6 rating and a 19 share against the... Daytona 500, which had 69,000 viewers, 3.7 rating with a 13 share. So you know that with the fact the Battlehawks is back, it's big media news. And considering that we're taken away from the uh, NASCAR audience is big. So let's go to Seattle, D.C. that aired on ESPN. That one drew 1.06 million 0.29 0.29 in 1849, and that particular game was sixth overall for the night in viewership. So wow. that it's big. It is down from week one from 2020. I didn't have all that data, but I did was able to find data on Twitter comparing it to week one of the USFL last year. So on the uh, Saturday game between uh, New Jersey and uh, Birmingham, which aired on Fox, they had uh, 1.757 million on Fox, and then simulcast on uh, NBC, they had 1.31 million viewers for a total of 3.067 million. The Sunday games, Houston, Michigan on NBC got roughly about 2.2 million. The other Sunday game between uh, Philadelphia and New Orleans on USA drew 771,000. And then the Monday game between uh, Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh, that which aired on Fox Sports 1, drew 268,000. So if you're thinking and looking at all these games, 
that happened in week one, they've at least outperformed Philadelphia, New Orleans, and Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh in the USFL. And I think that it could potentially increase further over time. I agree with that. I think you'll I think you'll see it increase. And uh, just to be clear, so that obviously the USFL hasn't started yet this year, right? So those are numbers from uh, from last year's uh, USFL week one, right? That is correct. Okay, so highly competitive in terms of viewership, the XFL. When you have your first week on a weekend as big in in NASCAR as the Daytona 500, I mean, they call that the Super Bowl of racing for a reason. They get a lot of viewers nationwide. So if you're making a dent in a in a market that's as major as St. Louis, uh, that usually has a pretty high viewership of NASCAR, you're really making headway. I don't know how the transition is going to be once the USFL starts up. Uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how numbers transition from the XFL to the USFL. And it'll really be interesting to see next year which league gets more numbers but overall, the XFL highly competitive and a very good showing this weekend for uh, as far as viewership goes. And something I could potentially add on here. So I'm not sure if the XFL was the ultimate factor, but just with the viewership that uh, the Daytona 500 uh, had, they lost 8% of its uh, viewership compared to last year because they drew wow. 8.2 million this year. There's a lot of State of the Union podcasts that are very sad this weekend regarding NASCAR. Sometimes you got to let it go. We got spring football back. It's time to, <laughs> That's time to watch the new game. <laughs> no, sir, it's not. It is significant. Um, and anything you see, especially the first week, should carry on, in my opinion. Because we brought the heat this weekend, guys, and this last weekend. And we're going to talk about that very soon. Is there anything you all want to add before we move on? I think the numbers are straightforward. They tell a good story. The the league is healthy, and anybody who says otherwise is straight hating. Haters gonna hate. Quit sending right. that hater aid, boy. Don't yep. do it. Get your tay tay on. Hate 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 hate. <laughs> yeah. All right. So last up in news and updates, I uh, just wanted to talk about some player acquisitions and drops. I don't have too much data on this. I hope you guys have some ready. Just had a couple different series. Uh, I seen yesterday from the Brahmas, they had a couple moves as well as the Roughnecks had a couple moves. I'm going to talk about a couple. You guys can pick up on some too if you have them. No worries if not. So I see this one is a series of moves were made by the Brahmas yesterday. Uh, they placed Landon Acres on the reserve list, or like I guess injured reserve, and they signed Dan Williams, which is a wide receiver. Maya Tuahima which is a guard and Steven Denmark, who's a defensive back. They released tight end Jamal Pettigrew. Next up, I saw the Roughnecks. They signed an offensive tackle, Ryan Pope. Um, Pope spent some time with the Seattle Sea Dragons, played for the Packers, Rams, Jaguars, Lions, and Broncos. In my opinion, our Roughnecks already have a pretty good offensive line, and this is just going to add to the list. Um, you guys got any other moves you want to talk about? Yeah, I've got uh, one. On Monday, uh, the Battle Hawks had parted ways with defensive back Tim Harris, who actually had some injury issues last week, hence why he was inactive for week one against the Brahmas. Uh, they waived him and they signed safety Jonathan Alexander, uh, 23 years old, 6'3", 211, from Fort Worth. His nickname is The Big Ape. 
I'd like to know wh- why they gave him the nickname. Uh, he spent the offseason in 21 with the Chicago Bears. Uh, he had transferred to Charlotte in 2021 after spending two seasons at Kansas State. Uh, started eight of nine games with 54 tackles, two interceptions, and two forced fumbles, and a touchdown for Charlotte back in 21. And he was the 18th selection in the 2022 XFL draft and uh, had spent time in training camp before being waived on February 9th. So we're bringing back a former draftee. Dang. You had a a couple? (laughs) So you were all over that, man. Uh, Yeah, he had it going. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit, a little bit more insight than me. I think uh, for me, I'm j- I'm not necessarily watching big roster moves. I'm watching a couple of injuries. So uh, there were a couple. Of, I forget who the other player was off the top of my head, but there's uh, there's one big name that's in concussion protocol. It's Vic Beasley. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he sees the field, how bad his concussion is. And honestly, with that being a uh, selling point of the XFL being uh, a safer league. It'll be interesting to see what exactly concussion protocol is in the XFL. He took that big hit on that uh, interception this weekend, didn't he? Uh, no, that was the that was in the which game was that? Uh, that was in the Arlington game. I forget what the guy's name is, but he hit his head pretty hard. Uh, he came out on Twitter and said that he was pretty uh, that he was okay. Thanked everybody for their support. Uh, glad they got the dub. You know all of that stuff. So he seems like he'll be okay. I don't know the how intense the concussion was for Vic Beasley, uh, but he it was well, intense enough that he's not been practicing. He's still in concussion well, protocol, whatever that looks like uh, in the XFL. So, do we know what play he got that concussion on? Uh, no, I will take a look real quick. I'll say while he's looking. Um, next week, we hope to have more access to some media information. We're kind of just waiting um, on some approvals. Um, and then we should have some some better, more accurate results. Um, I know Jake, he's got the hookup to the Battlehawks right now, so he, he's bringing the heat on that. The rest of us, we're, we're trying. Um, but certainly, we're, we'll have our access soon. Uh, you guys want to add anything else to that before we just move on? I just got an injury report. Oh, Check it out. Houston. So we have a little bit of information on Houston as well. Did not participate in practice. Offensive guard Darwan Parker uh, has a hamstring issue that probably uh, highlights why Houston picked up a offensive lineman this week. I would say that's kind of a big deal. Darwan Parker is one of the big uh, anchors on that offensive line. And if Houston is picking up an offensive lineman and he didn't participate in practice, that tells me probably the hamstrings a little bit more serious than we thought going into the week. Limited participation, uh, Travell Harris, who had a couple of really big grabs uh, to keep drives going during the first week. He's, but he's limited participation with a groin injury. So it's a couple of people are going to have to step up this week on the offense for the Roughnecks. But, I mean, the way they played in the first the first week – shouldn't see a huge drop off. Oh, well, I like it. Thank you guys for the reports. Next up, we're going to just quickly review last week's matchups. We don't want to get too in-depth on everything because we still want to cover next week's matchups. 
but we have to highlight what happened and the winners at least. Um, it was a good week of football. I enjoyed every game played. Uh, everyone had a different aspect of, of comeback win or just a total obliter- obliteration. Um, <laughs> first, let's just talk about Las Vegas Vipers um, at the Arlington Renegades. Arlington pulled it off last minute or last second. Barger, dual protecting inside out. One man rush, crossing route, open and a huge game. And a touchdown for Vegas and Sinkhue Sweeting. Far, far to hit. With eight seconds to play. Perez pulled it back. Gets taken down. TJ Barnes. Vipers had a good game. Um, can you guys tell us some more about it? And Chris, you want to take this one, man? Uh, so that was the only game last week I didn't watch in its entirety. I had to record that one. It was competitive as hell, though, from the part that I saw. Um, it's you know, it seems like Vegas has got their stuff together. I mean, I you're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to defer on this one. I didn't watch the whole game, but gotcha. Sorry, I didn't mean to set you up for failure there. <laughs> Not uh, at all, man. Not at all. So, so from what I saw with Arlington and, and Las Vegas, Las Vegas clearly to me was the better team overall. Arlington's offense is just be it's like if there is a level of functioning beneath anemic, you could label Arlington's offense as that. Just zero production. You know they stayed they stayed in or they didn't stay in anything. They were actually pretty multiple with their formations on offense, but it didn't do anything for them. Their offensive line was not very good. Their run game was not very good. It was just, it was really, really bad offense. If you remember anything about the the XFL in 2020, you remember the first week, everybody was like, where the hell is the offense? This is exactly what it looked like during 2020 for Arlington. It, it was just bad. The Vipers, on the other hand, really should have been up 20-something points in the first half because uh, their defense was flying around, their offense was making plays. But man, looking at this game, if you if you watched, it really was a tale of two halves, right? I mean, Arlington's the, defense. The turnover didn't help either. The what didn't help? The uh, the two turnovers that that definitely didn't oh. help. Oh yeah, absolutely not. But um, but in the second half, so if the first half was all Vipers, the second half was all Renegades, right? Excuse me, all Renegades defense. Oh, for sure, defense, no doubt. Pick sixes, fumbles, sacks. I mean, how many sacks did they have? Uh, Luis Perez was running for his life. There's basically nothing you could do. And then even on the very last play where the Vipers were going for fourth and 15, the conversion using that that uh, unique rule to the XFL, Luis Perez made one hell of a throw over the middle. And uh, it was to, to Geronimo Allison and – he got absolutely waylaid in the middle of the field hard enough that the the ball popped free, ultimately giving Arlington the win. But man, talk about dominant defense. I mean, for you to basically pitch a shutout until the very end and then win the game on a defensive play, it, I mean, that makes a statement. So uh, Arlington's not going to be at the very bottom of any you know power rankings coming, coming this week uh, just because of their defense. But that offense is bad enough that they're gonna, they're still going to be down there pretty far, I think. Yeah, uh, I I foresee this game uh, being a pretty good one between us next week, Houston and Arlington. That makes uh, one of us. 
<laughs> I think it's really going to be a true test for us as a Houston team to see what we can do. Because uh, that defense is nothing to play around with when they come. Speaking of Houston, let's just roll right into the next little tidbit here. Uh, Houston Roughnecks versus the Orlando Guardians. Uh, the Guardians came uh, to the Roughnecks, and they left the Roughnecks very sad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Drew, I know you got something to fill us in on this one. It was kind. Of, I mean, if you paid attention to the article that myself and Jesse Dice did. Jesse being our Orlando correspondent here at Ambush Sports Network, he made a he made his prediction. I made mine. I think if you were if you remember, my prediction was something like twenty nine to uh, thirteen for Houston. So I was pretty close. I kind of knew the game was going to go how it did. Orlando didn't really seem to have any answers. I mean, they started off faster than Houston, uh, but Houston started off in a very soft zone trying to figure out what they were going to look like. And once they figured out what they looked like, they locked in and uh, really stole the show in terms of both offense and defense. So it wasn't particularly close. Honestly, the score makes it look closer than it really was. And that's saying something with Orlando, you know, only having 12 points. So the, the big question for Houston going forward is, can Brandon Silvers clean up the sloppy interceptions? That's kind of been a hallmark of his. I can answer those. (laughs) Yes, Chris. As as a Seattle fan and watching him play down here in 2020 and watching all of the preseason stuff that we had access to. No, we can't. The guy, (laughs) he's just, he just crumbles under pressure. It's just so sad to watch. I've got to disagree with you on that one, Chris. I've watched, I've watched Silver since the AAF days, and I'm impressed by how he grew professionally. Uh, well, I mean, you've got to with all the opportunities the man's had, but I'm telling you, I, 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 you, you can watch yeah. him in practice. Watch him in practice. He's a totally different player once fans are in the in attendance and there's another team standing across from him. Well, I'll tell you, I, I sat for the post-game interview, and I put it on Facebook Live through the XFL Insider Podcast, and – in the interview, he called himself out on the picks, and he he couldn't remember how many he had, but he said, you know, I messed up. How many picks did I throw? Um, so if he knows he's inconsistent, I think he can clean it up, especially with the coaching staff they have. I don't know. See, I'm I kind of so I think I kind of agree with Chris. I left it as a hanging question just for entertainment purposes. I'm not of the belief that Silvers can fix it. So I made I made reference before on the previous podcast that I played uh, defensive back in high school. I played a little bit of quarterback as well. Doesn't make me a pro at it. As a matter of fact, I was a backup. I didn't even start. But as a quarterback, you know if you if you don't remember how many interceptions you threw in a game, there's a problem. Like quarterbacks have to be perfectionists. They have just to about to make that point for you to be like oh. LOL interceptions, you know, and and that's not me mocking Silvers because he's not the only quarterback to ever ever have that attitude towards it. But that to me, that just highlights a problem. And again, referencing the previous podcast, I was a Cole McDonald fanboy coming into the season. So uh, he came in, he had a rushing touchdown. He didn't look all that great with his first couple of throws. Uh, Doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot, but. Uh, Houston is pretty deep at quarterback. They've got some talent there. I think they could change their offense if they needed to, to facilitate somebody like Cole McDonald. It's going to be interesting to see how much of a leash Silvers has 
especially with a defense like Arlington coming to town next week. I love the takes, guys. <clears throat> and regardless of what happens, um, the next man's up. And yep. um, I'm here for the team. So appreciate the takes. Moving on, Jake, it's time. Can you tell <laughs> us about the Battle Hawks? Yeah, I tell you, this one was a nail biter from the beginning. It's like there was not much scoring between the two teams in the first three quarters. You know, field goal here in the first, field goal here in the second, field goal in the third, and then all of a sudden you get all these scoring in the second half. Completions for McCarron. 180! Third and seven. McCarron has a receiver. Caught! Touchdown, St. Louis, and a flag on the play. That is pro. Hey, guys, I'm trying to catch him. He's out of breath. He's fighting, guys. He's scrapping, talking to his dad down here. Unbelievable catch. The concentration. Walk me through that play. Uh, the good Lord. The good Lord bless me with some hands. I made it happen. Shout out to my boys down in Florida, man. NSB convention. My nieces, Hadley and Coven. All the good Lord, man. What'd your dad just say to you right there? That's unbelievable. Good catch. That's what we do, though. That's what we built for. Karen ultimately ended up finishing 18 for 26 for 190 yards. Uh, the Brahmas, uh, Jack Cohen, uh, went uh, 25 for 36 for 207. On the Battlehawks and Brian Hill led the rushing charge, six attempts for 55 yards. On the Brahmas end, Kevin Ballage led the charge, 24 attempts for 84 yards. And then, I mean, there was a lot of effort done on the receiving end, but the big one that you have to think of from the receiving core was the Battle Hawks, is Austin Prohl, and the plays that they made in the last three minutes of the game, both of those receptions going to him for the win, uh, for the 18-15 win. Uh, they've had, had some hiccups on the defensive end. They both had fumbles, which, you know, never know what to expect there. Uh, but... Ultimately, the game just came down to two Austin Pro receptions to secure the victory for St. Louis. And the, the great thing that I noticed afterwards looking at um, social media was uh, the uh, uh, father-son embrace between Austin and uh, Ricky. Uh, cool yeah, it was a cool moment. And then the interview with AJ McCarron went bonkers viral. Yep. One, one of your biggest whys was your family playing in front of your boys. You sprinted over here. Here they come right now. He's going to get you. What does that mean to be able to do this in front of them? It's awesome. It, uh, <laughs> uh, Look at those guys. <laughs> Man. It's, um, it means a lot. So. That's why you made the decision, brother. Congratulations. That's beautiful. Go spend time with your family. And even The Rock gave props to AJ McCarron for that because, I mean, he said that's what that's why we're here. That's what we're here for. Yep, absolutely. And a lot of people are, are while we're talking about AJ McCarron because he's an obvious, uh, you know, tar one of many obvious targets for this. Um, 
there's a lot of talk on Twitter or really, really any XFL uh, fan group. I've seen the point made, oh, uh, we're player 54, except for this guy uh, who spent this much time in the league and this guy who came down off of this roster and guys like Geronimo Allison played for the Packers and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, to anybody that's saying that, the fact that they're in the XFL right now and not on an NFL roster is exactly why player 54 is a, a a big selling point for the XFL. They're trying to help these guys get back to where they were or give them an opportunity to get to where they've never been. Uh, not really sure why there has to be a whole lot of hate, but a story like AJ McCarron uh, really doesn't do anything but build the XFL's position in what they're doing. I really like how the league isn't hiding that either with USFL quite, I hate to keep referencing them, but I, I hate that they kind of ignore the fact that there's a league above them and that the NFL even exists. This whole weekend, the XFL was just, you know, talking about opportunities and how can we get you to the next level and how can we get you to where you were or where you want to be? I like that. They're not hiding that. Yep. Yeah. And you know, the XFL is more than just opportunity for the players. It's opportunity for the coaches. It's opportunity for their families. It's opportunity for new media. It's opportunity for the people working in the concession stand. Um, it's opportunity for the refs. There's a lot of different things that are going where a lot of bi- people are benefiting. So everyone should the remember that. Places that ignored in the past. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. And you can see that. Go to a game. Watch some videos online. Check out the fan groups, and it will all show you the the true fandom that the XFL has and what it's about. I'll tell you, I went to Houston, and I had not one negative experience my whole time at that game. Go to an NFL game and see how that goes for you. Yeah, good but luck standing in the cold waiting to go to the bathroom. Everybody was super nice, uh, great experience. That was my first time being in Houston, but you know what? I loved it, and I'll be back a lot. Um so, yeah, guys, just remember, the XFL, it stands for opportunity, and that's for the players and everybody else. All right, we got the last game of the week, the D.C. Defenders versus the Seattle Sea Dragons. Chris, do you want to share your take on that? Well, so, you know, I've got a lot of differing opinions on the game. Obviously, I'm disappointed that we performed as poorly as we did in the second half. Um, I, I found it interesting that they made kind of a highlight in the uh, during the game on commentary to point out the fact that the coaching staff was cycling a lot of players in and out, not necessarily just playing the starters all day. I think that that's what is going to – I think that's going to be kind of a linchpin when it comes to seeing the difference between how we played week one versus how we play this week. Um, I think that, you know, the first game jitters are out. I think the coaching staff has cycled who they wanted to cycle through see who plays how how during a big game moment, and they're going to have a more reliable roster of guys that they know this guy's going to perform well in this situation, this guy's going to perform better in this situation. I mean, we switched quarterbacks out during the game when we didn't have to. Um, also, you have to take the Seattle marketplace into, into account. Loudest arena in the world. You know, we, we may we may not hold the record consistently or whatever, but we've said it more times than, than, than anybody else. I think that the fan base here is rabid. It's really it's nuts. Um, in 2020, I was 
I, I dived, you know, feet first into the into the Seattle Dragons pool. <clears throat> There's a lot of fans around here that are very dedicated to the team, and they have not had an opportunity to show that to the world yet, and they're about to in droves. Um, I think the Seattle Sea Dragons of of week one are not going to be the Seattle Sea Dragons of week two. Um, Danucci, it is what it is. The, you know, he's throwing picks and stuff in the second half, which was disappointing. I think he's going to get his rhythm down. Him and Josh Gordon are a great pair. I mean, the two of them were just light in the field at the beginning of the game yesterday uh, on a uh, on Sunday. I mean, what did Gordon have like six catches in in, in seventy five yards or something like that? Um, he's balling out. Yeah, out. I mean, it's just a fantastic game for between the two of them. I really think that you're going to see a different team this week, and I think that it's it, the the crowd is going to be a factor that the BattleHawks are going to have to to address. Yeah, DC ended up pulling it off 22 to 18. DC looked good. I'm not going to lie. I'm a big Jordan Tamamu fan, and he really showed up in the times he could play. So I, I enjoyed it. Um, anybody else got any takes on it? Yeah, I think I'm a little bit on the on the other end of the spectrum here. Uh, so to me, I don't really think either team looked all that great. Chris touched a, a little bit on Seattle. You know, I will agree, hey, they've played a lot of different players, right? Just about at every position, seeing what they have, seeing who performed in certain situations, swapping quarterbacks when they didn't have to. But that offensive line is highly suspect right now, if you ask me. Watching how hard Ben DiNucci had to run for his life was almost as hard as, if not maybe harder than Luis uh, Perez had to run for his life against the Renegades during the second half, especially. Good grief. I can't disagree uh, with you there. Yeah, I mean, if if that offensive line doesn't shore up, man, the, there's going to be some hard times ahead for Seattle, and you can have all the Josh Gordons in the world that you want to, and it's not going to make a difference if you can't throw them the damn ball, right? With with DC, their offense was pretty suspect too. Like, no uh, doubt, on certain I mean, degrees. Yeah, so I mean, Tamu played about as well as he could, but it almost seemed like he was uncomfortable. Like I mean, he, they kept yeah, they swapped them in players. and out. But to me, that was part of their downfall. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that they no, kept swapping. You know, they they wouldn't let either one of these guys get hot. And arguably, they're saying that's the reason they pulled the win off. But in my opinion, play one guy and see what happens. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm I'm not a huge fan of playing a dual quarterback system either. There are situations where you can have success with it, but in in my opinion, the better quarterback or the the uh, we'll say the quarterback that made the offense go the best was De'Eric King uh, coming off the bench and running the ball. He added a different layer that I think Seattle probably wasn't expecting. I think uh, they prepared for Te'amu uh, knowing that he's more of a pocket passer and only runs when he has truly a lot of space. And then De'Eric King came in and they had trouble adjusting because they didn't practice against it. I agree. So, he looked good. He he picked up yards on every carry. I mean, right. he, yeah. he did great. He was electric on most of his runs. And I don't expect that to be the uh, case again next week. I think now that uh, teams have seen it, they're going to have plenty of tape. They see what they're trying to do with De'Eric King, and uh, teams will be a little bit more prepared. But you know, some question marks on the D.C. defender side, question marks on the Dragons side. I, I just don't see either of these teams as being very, very good. Well, we will see what happens this following week. We got another exciting weekend and Thursday night of play. 
Let me Anything make else? a quick note. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I was talking about, you know, the, the crowd and everything in, in Seattle. I, <clears throat> I had written this down. I don't I don't know where I put it. I apologize. Um, we've got like, I think, two former Hawks playing on on uh, the Sea Dragons this season. And there's a, I think there's seven players on the team that are local kids. Um, I know for sure um, Colin Kelly's like from Kelso. Um, and there's a couple of guys that went to UW and stuff like that. Um, the, adding into the fan base that's out here, you've got a lot of guys that are playing in front of family for the first time. I really think that's going to be one of the like stories of the week this week, as far as the game goes. And it's always fun when you're when you play for the local team, right? Like the, a lot of people have that as their dream coming into into sports. It's like I, you know, as a kid, I always, uh, you know, up until I was like ten and didn't have any growth spurts yet. Uh, I was like, hey, I want to play for, you know, the Houston Texans or, or you know, maybe Dallas, maybe New Orleans, because that's the general area that I'm from. You know, play, I, mean, I played on the same played out here during the, the covid season for the NFL and never played in front of the crowd. Even mm-hmm. he said in an interview, uh, I, I, I think it was in the Seattle Times. I, I had it bookmarked, um, but he said something along the lines of like, you know, I. Uh, I got it right here. It says Seattle's an awesome sports town and they love their sports. I'm pretty familiar with the stadium, but not with the 12th man. I'm really hoping they're here for us on Thursday. I've heard a lot about it. And I'm excited to see it in person. Nice. I'm excited well, for you. Market too. <laughs> Anytime you say 12th man in Seattle, you're going to get some sort of response. So no doubt. The Arlington Renegades pulled it off 22 to 20 beating the Vipers. The Orlando Guardians Got beat 33-12 to 12 by the Houston Roughnecks. The St. Louis Battlehawks won by three for a score of 18-15 to 15 against the Brahmas. guys let's move on to the next week's matchups we will start with our thursday matchup the st louis battle hawks versus the seattle sea dragons Ooh, jake and chris fight fight let's do it i'll defer to you chris i it's like i said earlier i i think that you're gonna see a totally different team this week than you saw last week i think last week there was a lot of feeling out there was a lot of let's try this, let's try that. I think that this week you're going to see a more solidified team, not as many switches, not as much nonsense. The defense has got their stuff together. The offensive line obviously has holes like Swiss cheese. We've got to fix that. But if the Seattle Marketplace fans are familiar with anything, it's an offensive line that sucks. So it's not anything that we're uh, unaccustomed to. It's not anything that we're not used to dealing with. The team needs to fix the problem. The fans will be there and support in droves. I, that stadium is going to be deafening. I guarantee it. And I'm going to be there. I'm going to be happy to be reporting uh, if I can live. But I'm definitely going to be doing a lot of photography. It's <clears throat> what uh, Ambush has hired me to do. Uh, so me and Tommy will be there. We'll be, uh, we'll be knocking it out of the parks. And make sure you guys get all the insider info we can. Sounds great. We appreciate that, Chris. 
And, you know, I'll just say, I'll add a couple things to this. So, Seattle's going into this game with uh, Jim Haslett as coach, being his eighth year as a head coach. The last week's loss brings his career record to 64 and 64. So, he's right at 500. Um, You know, and this isn't the first time that uh, Haslett and Decht has uh, met because uh, they were both part of the St. Louis Rams squad back in 2008 uh, when uh, Beck was tied in for the Rams. And uh, Hazlitt was the interim head coach at the time, four four games into the season. Uh, In addition, Beck also faced off with Hazlitt in New Orleans three times during his playing career. And uh, each of the three meetings they had – his teams ended up beating any Haslett-led team. Um, Considering the uh, connections to whether it's Seattle or Washington in general, uh, Chris did present a good point, but I will actually go in a little detail here regarding the players that have either uh, were in Seattle or they uh, were – participated somewhere in Washington whatsoever. So thank goodness the Battlehawks sent a pronunciation guide because this is, will help me not butcher <laughs> the names. Uh, but um, one of them that came to mind was uh, Taniella Tupo, uh, who's a defensive tackle. He was born in Marysville uh, and played at Washington at the college level and then signed with the Seahawks in 2016. But he's also a two-sport player because he also played in, with the Seattle Seawolves in Major League Ru- Rugby back in 2020. Uh, Lakeem Williams, a linebacker for the team, is from D- Tacoma, who's also signed with the Seahawks, uh, spending time on the practice squad from 21 uh, to 22. Another linebacker, Travis Feeney, also has connections to the area. He attended Washington from 2012 to 2015, and during his time there, he recorded 125 tackles during uh, 38 games that he was uh, playing for the Huskies before being selected in the 2016 uh, 2016 NFL draft in the sixth round by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then, of course, one of them that played for uh, uh, the (laughs) Seattle Dragons in 2020, the golden boy I just referred to either, Austin Prohl, who during that time caught the first touchdown pass in XFL history, February 2020. So we're awesome. well, well after three years after the fact, uh, despite losing to the D.C. Defenders 31-19. Last but not least, another wide receiver, Gary Jennings, was selected by the Seahawks in the fourth round of the 2019 NFL draft uh, while running backs coach Art Valero was an offensive line coach for Seattle in 2010. There's a lot of synchronicity on that team too. Guys, next up, let's talk about the DC defenders versus the Las Vegas Vipers. So for me, this is one of the more entertaining uh, or excuse me, more anticipated matchups uh, from my point of view uh, for for week two because uh, both of these teams got either the right end or the wrong end of, of a shift in momentum in their game. 
right? Uh, both teams showed flashes, offensive and defensive. Uh, both teams were dominant at points in their game. Uh, one came out on top, one came out on bottom. Uh, so what are we going to – I really think that Las Vegas is going to is gonna pull this out uh, because D.C. wasn't necessarily facing a, a very good offense uh, or at least a very uh, proficient offense at this point or at that point in the season uh, in week one. So I, I think – they're going to have a, a, a more viable test for their defense in Las Vegas. And I think the, that Las Vegas is, is going to have a little bit more tape on what DC wants to do offensively, uh, which is going to be the truth around the league. Right. Uh, but with tape comes adjustments. And uh, in my opinion, I think Las Vegas has fewer adjustments to do, to make uh, overall than DC does. I think uh, Las Vegas's offensive line just needs to shore up a little bit of, of how they face pressures, because that's what uh, DC or that's what Arlington got them with was pressures. And uh, if they can shore that up, I think that the Vipers will beat the defenders and will come out with a one and one team on both sides. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I think Vegas has got this one in the bag, but. Uh, I, I was talking to somebody earlier today about this. I'm kind of hoping that one doesn't come down to a defense versus defense game where the score is super low and we don't really see any big plays. That's the only concern I have about that game. I'm curious if Perez is going to come out ready to play or if the Renegades defense was really that good last week. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair point. Uh it, maybe it took the Renegades a little bit of time to adjust and decide, hey, we're just going to blitz the hell out of them because they can't stop it. Or did the Vipers just not really have a clue what to do against those pressures, and now they made the adjustments and they get back to making big plays like they did in the first half of, of the game. Uh, so a little trifecta of, of points there that all play off of each other. Uh, so it, that's why, to me, it's a really intriguing game. I yeah, think well, then, we see a lot of defensive pressure right off the bat, right, all the way through the first quarter, though, on both sides of the ball. Oh, yeah. Well, Luis Perez is probably getting blitzed every play of his life for the rest of this season. season so, The YouTube quarterback himself. Um, we'll <laughs> see what happens. Uh, I had faith in him years ago. Not sure if he can pull it off now. Um, but it'll be good to see if he does, because that's really another Player 54 story. Definitely. And I think I do have some takeaways I can potentially come up for uh, uh, this game. You know, bo- both the uh, uh, Vipers and uh, Defenders were in matches that were defined by very thin margins. Yep. Vipers lost by two, Defenders won by four. So, I mean, are they going to take what they learned in week one adjust from any mistakes that they have uh, made in that game. Don't make those again and then adjust their strategies to potentially swing it in their favor. I mean, they've got to do something. I mean, I think based on what we discussed when it came to the over-unders on the points, both of those games ended up with uh, over the, uh, I think it was 35 and a half, 36 and a half. I mean, is it going to end up being in a situation where it's determined as 
small of a margin that they had in week one, or is just one of these teams just going to blow things out of the water? Uh, it will be exciting to see what happens uh, this week when they play. Couldn't agree more there, Jake. Anything else before we move on to uh, the San Antonio game? Um, I don't believe so. All right. Well, next up, we got the San Antonio Brahmas versus the Orlando Guardians. Any big think, takes on this? <laughs> I think uh, I think we're definitely going to see our first uh, O and two team of the of the year uh, in Orlando. Uh, Orlando. Was Agreed. not impressive to me whatsoever last last week, uh, and that's not just me being a, a Roughnecks fanboy. That's I mean, they just look bad, really. For, for hey, listen, man, I, I'm, from, I'm from Orlando. I was an Orlando Rage fan, the first version of the XFL. I no, totally with you though. Yeah, it's I mean, it was bad. It was just low quality, and really. It makes me kind of ask questions of the Roughnecks offense with Silver's throwing two interceptions because, well, no, never mind. Silver's interceptions were on him. Those were just bad, bad plays. Uh, <laughs> but but as far as the Brahmas go, they weren't – I mean, they didn't prove to be inept. I think St. Louis's defense is pretty good. San Antonio's defense is pretty good. Uh, obviously, you don't shut down a team with uh, A.J. McCarron and Ricky er, – and uh, Austin Prohl. Uh without having a pretty decent defense, you know, they gave it up in the end, but we're talking less than 20 points for, for both of those teams. So I think, uh, San Antonio is probably going to hold Orlando to two scores or less. Uh, I think the Brahmas will probably score three or four times, uh, so, you know, somewhere in the range of, of probably like 20, 26 to 26 to eight, I think would probably be a prediction of mine. Uh, I think San Antonio is just going to run away with it. And on top of that, San Antonio is just going to probably hog the ball. With Kalen, with Kalen Balazs uh, having as good a game as he did against the Battle Hawks, I see him getting fed a lot. Uh, in the first podcast that we did, uh, I referenced San Antonio was probably going to run the ball. Seemed like I was right. <laughs> Kalen Balazs had over 20 carries. Had uh, Was it 80-something yards, Jake? It was a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, I mean, and Caleb Balazs is a freaking nature. Like, he just looked bigger than everybody else. I don't know if it was the Brahma's uniforms or what, but he that dude's a specimen. Yeah, he uh, took the field control, no doubt. All right. Jake, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, any way you look at this, someone's going to end up uh, being uh, 0-2, and, and someone's going to end up being 1-1. One and one. Uh the Brahmas definitely for sure have to figure out how not to shut down the last three minutes of the game because, I mean, whatever mistakes that they were making in that, that period of time, I mean, it made McCarron go clutch and help uh, uh, make the right uh, passes and the right calls to secure that come-from-behind victory. Uh, so they have to – they need to review that tape and then whatever tape they can find from the Guardians game last week and adapt their strategy because you've got to play better three-minute football than that because if you're not, you're going to you're gonna end up uh, left in the dust because, I mean, 
on on San Antonio's end that had to have been um not interesting but rather embarrassing to hold a lead and then you know last three minutes things just collapse you can't you can't collapse like that so you definitely have to keep that in mind when go, uh, going against uh, the Guardians. Because if they can't seem to switch up their strategies in some way, they're going to end up 0-2. But at the same time, there were uh, some, a lot of mistakes that was made on the, the Guardians and against the Roughnecks. I mean, you can't make the crucial mistakes that they did to get whooped that bad by... Uh, was that three touchdowns? I mean, you've you've got to do you got to figure out something to improve your situation. Otherwise, you, again, just like I said with uh, San Antonio, you're going to end up 0-2. But someone's got to win. Someone's got to be one and one. Someone's got to be 0-2. Yeah, no doubt on what you guys are saying. I agree 100%. I think San Antonio's got a lot more to play for just because of the way they lost last week. And the uh, fact that the championship's in San Antonio this year. like, Yep, no doubt. I think that's probably going to add some juice to that squad. I don't know if Jack Cohen can, can lead them, though. I don't know if he can put it on his shoulders. And I guess we'll see in the long run. Um, but with someone like Kalen Balazs, they should be good to go. Yeah, I mean, Jack Cohn had some good uh, good moments. He had some bad moments. His accuracy was questionable. Uh, but he wasn't one of the higher-rated quarterbacks coming into this season. I think a lot of people had question marks about him, maybe even his own coaching staff. Uh, I do think that it was a little bit of first-game jitters, and now that he knows what to expect, especially against a defense that seemed as good as the Battlehawks defense did, uh, he'll probably have a little bit better uh outing against Orlando, if I had to guess. And just a quick note, the, this game is in Orlando this week, right? I believe yes. yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and they play at Camping World Stadium. That's where I played football when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Funny enough. All right, so we ready for our, nat- our last lineup matchup, I mean? <laughs> yes, sir. Please cut that out. Please cut that out. <laughs> All right, next up we have the Arlington Renegades versus the Houston Roughnecks. That's going to be in Houston uh, for the second week. I'll be there as a media guide as well. I'm covering for Ambush Sports. I look forward to it. Last week I went, had a great time. Like I said, the nicest place ever, nicest people ever. Look forward to this this game and um, also this review from Drew. Drew? (laughs) (laughs) You don't think I'm opinionated or anything, do you? <laughs> no, sir. So, uh, man, the way I see this game, if Arlington can't score, they're about to get run out of the stadium. Uh, they had no identity on offense whatsoever. They got sacked. They couldn't hold on to the ball. If they don't fix something, they're really about to get just horse raced. Uh, with that said, their defense is it seemed like it was really, really good. We'll find out a little bit more this weekend and, and see whether it was just the Vipers being bad or whether it was Arlington being really good. But uh, you guys helped me out. What was number 72's name? I can't remember. Uh, he had 
he basically dominated the game as a defensive tackle. Um, I mean, Houston having such a good play or such a good showing out of their offensive line during week one uh, versus a, a guy on the defensive line like that, uh, that that requires some game planning when you're when you're running. Uh, T.J. T.J. Barnes. T.J. Georgia Barnes. Tech. Yep. So uh, that guy's an absolute unit. Requ- that requires uh, a lot of game planning in your blocking scheme because you're going to have to double that guy the entire game. You can't leave him alone. And Arlington has already shown the willingness to blitz the hell out of people uh, in week one. I mean, they sent every pressure they probably had in the playbook against Las Vegas, and Vegas couldn't stop any of it. Uh, so – you know, are they going to cause problems for the Roughnecks' offense? Uh, it's a it's a vast possibility. I think this game, more so than any other game this coming weekend, has the potential to be an, a defensive uh, struggle. Uh, I think in a defensive struggle, because of the fact that Arlington has nothing on offense, uh, at least to this point, I think that edges in favor of Houston. Uh, so Houston would be my pick, uh, but it's gonna. I think it's gonna be interesting how it plays out. Yeah, last week I said Houston by 16, and I was wrong, but I was wrong in the right way. So <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, with with names like Trent Harris and Deontay Kirkland, I think Houston's going to clear the ball on this. Mm. Yep. If we do, uh, very confident in our run to the championship just due to being able to play against this defense. Yeah, I think uh... – at a point, so when you start off two and zero in a league that has a ten week uh, span, you're looking at probably some major injuries causing your downfall. Uh, if anything causes your downfall, um, it's a little bit of a crapshoot ac- across the league with what people are good at. Uh, you know, really the the defense has kind of had a a, a good showing this weekend. Uh, everything hit the over, but that doesn't necessarily indicate bad defense. Uh, to me, in my opinion, I think most of the games were fairly low scoring, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, in the NFL, you see a lot of a lot of uh, 30-point games and people getting blown out and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, the lowest score this weekend was 12. The highest was 33. That's pretty, pretty compact uh, for uh, four games, eight teams. Uh, in scoring. So, uh, I don't know, man, it's hard for me to say anything other than Houston's going to win this one just because Houston has some semblance of an offense. Going to highly depend on Brandon Silver's going to highly depend on uh, the Renegades defense versus that offensive line. Uh, I don't see very many factors at play here. It's just going to be defense and who who blinks first, probably. Uh, my money's on the Renegades to blink just because Houston has an offense. Personally, <clears throat> I wonder how many field goals we're going to see this week. How many times are we going to kick it through the uprights? Last week when we were watching just the games in general, I noticed there were a lot more field goals than I thought would happen. So... As it goes, is is that going to play a factor in our game? Who knows, but it'll be cool I to mean, check out. It definitely could. Uh, 
you know, Arlington's kicker made made three kicks this past week. Uh, none of them really looked like they were going to miss. He seemed pretty confident in his routine. Uh, Houston's kicker never saw the field. <laughs> like uh, Houston has a rookie kicker, so are we gonna are we gonna really see uh, nerves get to a kicker like that? I mean, that very well could be a a, a storyline that comes into play here. Anything else to add, Chris, Jake, before we move on? I think you guys are the subject matter experts there. You guys covered it pretty pretty effectively. I just I, I think I agree with you that a lot of, a lot of the game is going to depend on the Silvers. Uh, you know, I don't think he's got. I don't think he's going to necessarily have a pressure issue, but uh, you know, if he's throwing interceptions all day, I, I think you guys are going to be in trouble. Yeah, if they if they start getting to Silvers, I seriously think that we're going to start seeing a lot more of Cole McDonald, a lot more quarterback runs to try and uh, you know put the defense in a, a guessing game and where they can't really pressure the run. Uh, Which is smart. Yeah, no, it would be similar to what DC did with the Eric King when uh, when Te'amu stopped getting you know huge results. Uh, and again, that's something that Houston has that uh, the Renegades don't. So, uh, you know, still very interesting. I just think a lot has to go wrong for the Roughnecks to lose. Agreed. We also have Max Borgie. And if you don't know him, <laughs> you'll know him soon. And I think one thing is uh, to note from this game is someone has to win. Someone has to want, uh, lose. And it all ultimately finds out who's, who's the best team in the state of the Texas, uh, because uh, it's still early to tell. And there's got to be some sort of trophy because Texas does everything big. So there better be a big honking trophy for the best team in the state of Texas this season. Yeah, I think uh, if I remember correctly, uh, during the uh, head coaches sit down for the uh, for the conference, the three Texas coaches said basically whoever has the worst record has to buy dinner for everybody. <laughs> Good deal. I hope they get. I some mean, ultimately, nice you want to see the best team in Texas. Uh, the 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 big trophy that the best team in Texas has at the end of the year would be the championship trophy. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I'm not trying to create any other trophies. Like, there's one trophy that matters. Nobody gives a damn if you're the best team in Texas. If all of you only win one game and it's all against each other. Drill, baby, drill. And that's all I can say about that. The rig, baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So next up, we're gonna move to um, our own power poll. Um, brought to you by Drew, Drew Wills. Um, Drew's going to tell us his own take on the power pole. And, um, yeah, Drew, can you give us the, our first ever XFL insider power pole of the week? Yeah. So I, I went back and forth with myself and asked to ask the guys here on the podcast, which one I should go with. Cause I had two lists and one list had all of the winners in the top four and all of the losers in the bottom four. And I thought that's a little bit too mainstream and a little bit dishonest. Uh, so I made the other one, 
which is ultimately the one that you guys are going to get uh, with a little bit more analysis and uh, just kind of my take on on the first week and how it played out overall for everybody. So uh, top of my rankings, again, not being a fanboy here, it was just the most impressive showing. It's Houston. Uh, they showed up on offense. Trent Harris had four sacks on defense, uh, four and a half sacks, if I'm not mistaken, XFL record. Uh, so uh, Brandon Silvers had the second most passing yards on top of a couple of touchdowns. He threw a couple of really dumb interceptions. Uh, one of them, I don't really think he ever saw the guy, but you know, uh, you got to believe that the coaches that the Houston Roughnecks have, they're going to, you know, get that fixed and really not allow him to rest on his laurels. So I put Houston at number one, St. Louis at number two, um, St. Louis's defense, uh, shut down what was, or not shut down, but kept from scoring what was the best rushing game in week one in San Antonio. Uh, you know, if the, if this game happened the other way around and San Antonio won and pulled it out, uh, St. Louis would be down probably at like five uh, in my power rankings. But the fact that they turned on the offense, were able to be clutch, and uh, really honestly make a smart move uh, in terms of offensive play, or make many smart moves in terms of offensive play calling against a soft zone defense and really taking advantage of that. Uh, I think St. Louis definitely has something on offense. They may not know what it is yet. Uh, they definitely have a good defense though. So uh, they'll get tested a little bit uh, more this week in the passing game possibly. Uh, but I've got St. Louis at number two. Uh, D.C. at number three. Uh, their defense really turned it up. They they found a spark in De'Eric King. Uh, can they keep it? Don't know, but a good game or a good team uh, to find out against is Las Vegas. Uh, and uh, coming up next at four, I've got Las Vegas. Uh, so for, for me, this is a 3-4 matchup in the league. Uh, it's really <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Uh, can can Luis Perez stay upright is the question for Las Vegas, right? Um, the week one, they performed pretty well on the offensive side of the ball in the first half and pretty abysmally in the second half. Their defense was good all the way through. Uh, again, we don't know if that's because Arlington's just bad on offense or if the Vipers actually have a good defense. I would lean towards a good defense. Vic Beasley had a good game. Uh so, you know, Vegas, uh, because of that defense and because of having some semblance of an offense, is uh, is in my top four. Uh, it was a hard choice between them and San Antonio, who to put it four and five. Uh, San Antonio had a competent game. Uh, it was a defensive struggle. They ran the ball very well. Their question is the passing game. And in football today, across all spectrums, not just the NFL, football is a passing game. It's a, the the days of lining up in I formation and just running at somebody are over. So you've got to have some sort of passing game. Uh, can Jack Cohn uh, improve and, and step out of those uh, game one jitters into a better situation uh, or into a better performance rather uh, this week? Is going to be a good a good question. He should have the chance to do that against Orlando. Uh, so they're sitting at number five, San Antonio. Number six, I've got Seattle. Um, their defense played pretty well uh, for for vast swaths of the game against DC. Uh, they reacted somewhat well when uh, Derek King came in. Uh, they were able to make some adjustments, just not enough. Uh, 
Uh, I think they they probably focus on that a little bit more uh, moving forward, especially uh, especially later in the season when they when they play a little bit more uh, of a of a dual threat type game. Uh, but I think they learned a lot in week one. So uh, the question for them, I think, as we discussed earlier, uh, is the offensive line. So, you know, are they fixing to get just boat raced by that Battle Hawks defense? Are they fixing to uh, turn it around? Because, I mean, if we're being honest, Seattle has the best potential for offense in the league. It's not even close. They've got two former pros on their receiver core. Uh, They've got Ben DiNucci at quarterback, former pro. Uh, so if they can protect Ben Danucci, he can pick anybody apart. I mean, he's a playmaker. You saw that with a flip touchdown to Josh Gordon. Um, that connection is, is, you know, really bright. So if they can block at all against Seattle, uh, they, they, I mean, they could shoot up the power rankings really easy. So they're at number six, uh, Arlington, Donde Esta offense, uh, no clue where they get scoring power. Uh, they just seemed lost and inept on the offensive side of the ball. Great on defense. Uh, you know, I, I kind of struggled a little bit with who to put it. Uh, six and seven between Seattle and Arlington. But Seattle does have offensive potential and can score points and did score points in their game. Uh, so I'm going, I went with Seattle at six and Arlington at seven. And then bringing up the rear is Orlando. Uh, I don't. I only know Spanish and English, uh, so I don't know how to say <laughs> where the hell is your offense and your defense. Uh, so <laughs> we're just going to leave them at the bottom and not really pontificate much more until they show uh, some sort of potential. No fiesta there. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Drew. Uh, very insightful power poll. Uh, loved it. We'll see how everything plays out this week. Um, next up, I want to cover a special segment. Uh, every week, we're going to have our own player of the week brought to you by Ambush Sports, and that's at ambushsports.net. Ambush Sports is a sports network. Uh, me, Drew, Jake, Chris, we're all part of it. Uh, great place to be, great people to work for, um, great network of sports. Check them out, please. Uh this week, we have two players of the week, one on offense and one on defense. Um, would anybody else like to introduce these guys? Jake, you seem to be the one with the uh, with all the stats. They're piled up in front of you. you got? <laughs> I hear the papers coming now. Right. Oh, <laughs> I probably shuffled and thrown a lot of those away. It's like my production studio was covered with papers, but... I mean, there's not a whole lot more that I can say that I hadn't already said about uh, A.J. McCarron because not only can he play clutch football in the final minutes of the game, but you can tell that he's a down-to-earth, homely person when uh, he had his uh, media interview after the game where... I mean, the viral moment was his kids coming up to him during the interview and then can't help but uh, be emotional. I mean, you, you, you've 
done what you said you want to do uh, in that regard. You want your kids to see you play while you still got time in your career. And ultimately, as I had already touched upon, that moment went viral and it got a response, an honest response from The Rock that and said, that is why we're here for. So, I mean, it's great. There, there's is not much more I can add outside of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the better passing performances really in week one. Uh I mean, really, on and off the field, offensive player of the week. You can't yeah. you can't say anything different. He was 18 for 26 with 190 yards and two touchdowns and zero interceptions. So he had a really good week compared to the other quarterbacks. Next up was the defensive player of the week, Mr. Trent Harris from the Houston Roughnecks. Drew, you want to tell us about Mr. Harris? Yeah, so uh, Trent Harris uh, has had a lot of stops uh, in his professional career. Uh, New England, Miami, New York, uh, the Giants variety of New York, uh, Baltimore, the Raiders, and now the Roughnecks. Uh, He has a Super Bowl to his name uh, on his resume, right? Uh, But, you know, he finds himself in the XFL with an opportunity to really make a name for himself again, and he wastes no time in doing so. Four and a half sacks, absolutely dominated the entire offensive line for Orlando. Uh, I mean, number 33 was absolutely everywhere this weekend. Uh, you know, it was hard to find a play where he wasn't being mentioned. Uh, very deserving of the defensive player of the week. Yeah, check him out on the post-game interview i recorded that that's on facebook live through the xfl insider podcast Uh, he he gave a pretty good interview after the game he was very excited you could tell he had that energy Um, i'm curious to see how he does for the rest of the year but i believe he'll be a consistent face and name you're going to keep hearing jake chris you got anything to add before we close i think both are great picks you guys did a good job picking both of them this week and let's make sure note that this was an ambush poll. Uh, the ambush took a poll on all these on all these stats and players, and, and we came up with our own players of the week from what we believed were best. Um, so this is what we came with. Yep, AJ Aaron was the runaway leader on offense, uh, and then on defense it was between uh, Trent Harris and uh, defensive back from DC by the last name of Joseph, who had uh, two picks, one of them a pick six. Michael Joseph, I believe. Michael Joseph, that's correct, yep. Yeah, both were ballers, and I'm sure we're going to hear some more names that we are not familiar with this weekend. And then I know that poll was a real nail-biter because, you know, for the longest time until someone swayed the final decision on that, it was tied between the two at three votes apiece. Yep. Uh, I'm sure... uh, I'm sure our DC writers are upset that I was the one that swayed that vote. <laughs> I didn't see the I didn't see the poll until late. They think I'm being a fanboy, probably, but I mean it's an XFL record. What Joseph did was good, but when you when you set a record, uh, unless another record was set in direct competition that week, uh, you're probably better off sticking with the record. Yeah, I agree. You're correct. Um, I was waiting on your vote. I knew it was coming. 
(laughs) (laughs) It was never in doubt. (laughs) All right. Well, guys, um, that about wraps it up for the show. Um, I appreciate you guys coming on. Wrong you are, sir. We have to do bets. Oh, I forgot the most important part. Drew, why don't you tell us about the bets? What do you think? All right, so uh, so I'm actually going to pitch the first one to uh, to our two resident subject matter experts on the uh, Battle Hawks and Sea Dragons. So the the spread is uh, Sea Dragons are favored by three. It's an even three. So uh, if if they win by three, it's a push. Uh, total for over under is thirty seven and a half. So how do you guys feel about uh, like if you had to put your money on uh, one team or the other and then on the over and under, where would you put your money? I mean, this week I got I got the Dragons this week. I, I've said it a couple of times now. I, I think that the team you saw in week one isn't going to be the team you see in week two. I think that the uh, the odds are correct and that the money's on the Dragons this week. Honestly, I don't believe with the three. Matter of fact, they actually favor Battlehawks by seven. Let's have a repeat of 2020. Battlehawks 23, Dragons uh, 16. <laughs> I like it. Uh, without, uh, without there was a QB, I don't think we got a problem this week. Ooh. Ow. <laughs> Man, shots fired, homie. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. All Great. right, so... Uh, so as we go through the rest of this, uh, the rest of the three games, I'll pitch it to you guys first, and then I'll follow up with uh, what mine is. Uh, simply, I want to do it like that because I'm not saying anything about Battle Hawks and Sea Dragons. I'm not touching that uh, <laughs> under. I'm not Good touching idea. three points with a with a ten foot pole. I'm just gonna let that ride. So uh, uh, no money spent by Drew Wells uh, on the Battle Hawks and Sea Dragons. Uh, DC Defenders at Las Vegas Vipers. Uh, uh, just a quick. Uh, a, qu- a quick uh, aside, I've, I've been kind of scrolling uh, Twitter, and uh, a few hours ago it was snowing in Las Vegas, and uh, the Las Vegas Vipers official uh, Twitter uh, just put out a, a quick video of the snow falling at the stadium, and they put, what in tarnation? <laughs> 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 so, it is snowing in the Wild West, but I don't think that's going to be a I don't think that's going to be happy happening. spring football day. Yeah, no, right. I think that shows that language to make the rest of the league comfortable. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I think uh, I don't think that it's going to be snowing in Las Vegas when they play. Uh, but uh, what what do you guys uh, take in with the Vipers being a two and a half point favorite at home over the Defenders and a total of thirty seven and thirty seven point five for the over under. I think that's about right. I think the Vipers got it this week. Hmm. I'm starting to think that's a very real possibility of uh, potent, you know, that being at least. I know you're supposed to match it or push it, but I really think it that matchup will really be close, uh, regardless of what mistakes may possibly occur in that game, and. There could be a very good chance that uh, it could be an over on that. Yeah, I think you're mm-hmm. right. Um, Vegas, I think it all. I think it highly depends on if Vic Beasley's playing. 
I think this line will move a little bit closer to game time. Uh, but and and that'll that'll be a major playing factor is is Vic Beasley healthy. Um, but as far as Vipers being two and a half point favorites, uh, I don't know that I. I don't know that I agree with them being favorites in general with the way DC uh, turned up their defense against uh, Seattle in the second half. And I don't see the over happening personally, Uh, but I could be wrong. Uh, If Vic Beasley doesn't play, then anything can happen. The defenders could score 30 points by themselves. I think the Vipers are probably good for at least – uh, two scores. Um, I wasn't all, I mean, so DC did find a spark with the Eric King, like we talked about earlier. I don't think that that's going to be enough of a spark to get them through the rest of the season. Teams are going to figure that out. Uh, I probably would, would put my money on the under and probably put my money on DC, uh, against the spread. I'm going to go with that, that same, thought drew um i'm gonna take dc by eight on the under dc by eight on the under okay nice all right so uh moving on to san antonio brahmas at orlando guardians so the orlando guardians get their first uh home game of the season uh after the brahmas uh put on uh what so far is the envy of the xfl fan world uh, as far as fan turnout, fan turnout with 25,000 people. Uh, so big Brahmas coming into town, uh, looking to avenge that loss in week one against Orlando, who just hopes to do something positive uh, in week two, because they really didn't in week one. <laughs> uh, point spread is uh, three and a half point favorites are the Brahmas at Orlando. And the total is 38 even for over. Mm. Nice line. Where are you going with your money you, since you said nice line? <laughs> I am going Brahmas. And, you know, I don't think I can go with the over on this one for sure. Um, so I'm going to go under. And I will take Brahmas by three. So you're going uh, for Orlando against the spread. Okay. I I got Brahma's too, but it's got to be more than three. I mean, at least by six. Yeah. What about the uh, the 38 over under? Sorry, just then. You're good. Okay, sorry. What now? <clears throat> uh, what do you? How do you feel about the uh, over under? Uh, uh, 38 even. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, uh, what did, Matt, what did you say? Under? Yeah, I would with the under. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I, can, I mean, I can definitely see it. San Antonio was mainly a running offense. Uh, Orlando couldn't really seem to do much right. I uh, see the clock running a lot in those two-minute periods at the end of each half. Uh, I mean, I, I can't argue with that. What do you think, Jake? I think it's going to be an outright ugly game, but by three, I'm, if I was actually betting on this action, 
I wouldn't be comfortable with that. And even then, there could be that rare possibility that Orlando kicks things into gear and maybe secure a victory by one or two points. So I'm not a fan of that. But I'm definitely the under on that because I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that possibility up because this is like a classic betting trap game, right? It's a brand-new league uh, or a brand-new iteration of the league. You're looking at two 0-1 teams. You're not sure how good everybody is. Vegas set, puts it right close to a field goal. Either they're going to win by a field goal or uh, more. Uh, and then they say something crazy like 38, like <laughs> especially with not very much evidence from either team of, of true scoring offense. So uh, I'm definitely taking the under. I think the Brahmas are going to win by probably two scores uh, just because Orlando can't really do well. I don't know. Maybe I'll take that back. I think it'll be Brahmas by one score, but definitely more than three and a half. So I would pick the Brahmas to cover and the under for sure. And then just something potentially to add in there. Uh, the reason why I went with my decision is what if the Brahmas completely melt down in the last three minutes of the game like they did in week <laughs> one against the Battle Hawks? I mean, Wave that, that it would be flag. ugly. That's why I said this could be an ugly game. Wave your flag, brother. I love it. You're just stepping all over <laughs> San Antonio after a win, man. I love it. That's his job. That's what he's supposed to do. <laughs> Someone's got to channel Stephen A. Smith. I mean, come right. on. <laughs> Shout out to your boy. Right. All right, so the last uh, the last game, uh, Arlington Renegades at Houston in TDECU Stadium. Uh, so we're looking at the Roughnecks with an even three-point spread for favorites, uh, and then a total over-under for 38-and-a-half. Uh, how do you guys feel about this? Over. <laughs> Why do you say that? Oh, we, we're bringing the heat. We're playing a good defense, and I think we have a multi-balanced approach on offense. So you're going to see some things happen if we do get stopped, and I don't think they're going to be ready for it. Okay, fair take. So so you, are you taking Houston to cover the three points? Um, I'll take Houston on the over. Okay. And I want to say, let's do it again. Houston's going to win this by 16. A score of 16. Try it till it's right. I love it. Let's do it. I agree, except for the 16. I, maybe nine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a betting man. Remember, this is not gambling advice. I disagree. It is. I, I think you should do everything that we say. Well, uh, how do you feel about it, Jake? You know, something like this you know that there's high stakes because someone's got to prove themselves to be the best in the Lone Star State. So, I mean, in in this case, someone has to emerge victorious. I wouldn't be comfortable with the uh, the spread. That's just something I just wouldn't bet on, but I would definitely go on the over on the points. Gotcha. And then, Jake, how do you feel about the over-under and the spread? That's the one I wouldn't touch. Not, that. Ten- uh, Chris, yeah. sorry, bud. 
Yeah, I I don't know. I'm not I'm not touching that one. No. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I don't know. It's gonna. It, I think <clears throat> again. I I think it's by nine, but I, I'm not touching the over. Gotcha. I think uh, I think I would jump all over that point spread. Uh, hammer the hell out of the Roughnecks. But Vegas is very much uh, playing both sides of the fence yet again this week. They said it would take a couple of weeks for them to really settle in and and get their uh, stuff together. But uh, when you say Roughnecks are three-point favorites and then you put the over-under at 38-and-a-half against a team that didn't perform on offense at all in the Renegades, you're you're literally saying either it's going to be a close one or it's not and Houston's just going to beat the crap out of them. Uh, Really? Which uh, is likely. Which is – I mean, it is likely. (laughs) But but Vegas is trying to win – whatever money is out there and they're thinking they're going to have to come out even on this one. Cause they're not a hundred percent sure. Uh, I would not touch the over. I think I would go under, but I would jump all over the point spread. Uh, roughnecks minus three. I think, I think that's the way to go. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate everybody's takes and I'm sure everybody at home does as well. Um, like I said, personally, I don't gamble much. I do like the betting lines to just see what we're looking at, though. So, um, thank you, Drew. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Anything else to add before we close it, fellas? Uh, don't believe so. Uh, I want to – well, I guess there there's one thing. Uh, I want to thank all of you guys, all three of you guys. Uh, you know, Matt, doing your hosting gig. Not an easy thing to do, facilitating a bunch of hooligans like me. Uh, Jake, uh, love the fiery takes, man. Uh, and Chris, thanks for coming on. Thanks for supplementing the podcast, man. Uh, look forward to having more conversations with you in the future. Uh, you were a fantastic guest today, man. Couldn't agree more. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it, fellas. Check back for more of the ambush staff to be on the podcast. Uh, really, the, if someone wants to come on, we're going to have them, whether it be a guest or an ambush staff member. So please check back. No telling who, who will end up on the podcast before it's over with. Um, Drew, I appreciate you, man. You got some really good takes. Very informative. Uh, I've heard from numerous friend reviews that, that they like listening because of you. So thank you, man. You as well, Jake. You, you keep it keep it grinding. Jake's also our producer, so Jake produces it. So shout out to him. Thank you. Yep, lots of work because of uh, we'll just say because of me. <laughs> well, we were all perfect, so it, you know it, we had with me it was shaking off the cobwebs after a few years you know and you guys i mean despite the edits that i had to do in the first episode i mean you guys were immaculate professionals despite being amateurs and something like this so i commend you guys as well that's much appreciated thank you well to close it out um everybody's going to shout out their socials um Tell us more about yourself, Chris, when we make it to you. Um, I'll start and with, with my socials and my, my little fun gig. Um, my Twitter is at XFL Insider POD. Uh, my YouTube is XFL Insider Podcast. Um, I represent Ambush Sports. 
as well as everyone in the podcast today. And that Twitter is at Ambush Sports. And the website is ambushsports.net. The podcast is produced by Jake. And Drew, Jake, and Chris are all staff members at Ambush Sports. And glad to have them today. So thank you, guys. I think uh, Ambush Sports has definitely been a place that's welcomed me with open arms. Uh, I came in, helped them fill a need. Uh, they've turned around by getting me, uh, and really not just me, everybody involved with them, uh, a, a lot of notice, uh, getting you know media press credentials, uh, really a lot of knowledge in Ambush Sports, and they're they're really starting to show it with the articles that are that were posting. Uh, the podcast going on, uh, really just a lot of positivity and a lot of forward momentum. So help us keep that uh, at Ambush Sports. Uh, so on Twitter, they are at Ambush Sports. Uh, that is the actual Sports Network uh, official Twitter. The Twitter for me is going to be Ambush Sports H-O-U for Houston. And then my Facebook page is... Uh, Houston Roughnecks dash ambush sports. And you know, you presented some great remarks uh, there in your um, description there. Um, I, I mean, I'm one of the original people that was on ambush uh, sports back in 2020. And I'm just glad to see the people that were involved back then participating again. And then, Seeing new guys like yourselves, uh, you know, most of you guys having your first jo- uh, foray in sports journalism. So I'm gl- I've been glad to share any advice that I've uh, um, given you guys so far, and I'm glad to be producer of this podcast. And it's 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 a great moment. It's like we've really expanded it upon what we uh, tried to do at Ambush uh, a few years ago. So I thank you guys for that. Uh, as far as socials, uh, I am on Twitter, Jake Leonard JRN. Uh, I am on Facebook at um, Jake Leonard, and I'll. Then outside of Ambush, I actually run my own nor- news organization. Uh, which is Heartland Newsfeed. You can find that on heartlandnewsfeed.com. I run a sister radio network, Heartland Newsfeed Radio Network, that actually streams on uh, our hosting platform. So you'll be able to check that up. Just look up Heartland Newsfeed Radio Network. Um, Outside of that, just glad to be on as usual. Hey, man, let me tell you guys what a heck of a ride it's been for the last 10 days for me um 10 days ago i had a friend of mine who was writing articles for ambush sports and you fast forward today and not only am i doing photography and having media credentials for the dragons games but i'm also doing this podcast it's crazy Uh, i was just a schmuck with a with a camera 10 days ago (laughs) um (laughs) Matt, you were kind enough to mention at the beginning of the show, uh, I am a, a professional wrestler out here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I travel around. I, I, I get out of the state, but my, my predominant market is here in, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Washington State in particular. Uh, hope you guys don't mind a little gratuitous self-promotion here. Wrestlers are notorious for it. So 
Um, We're, quick, we love it. We welcome it. Okay. Real quick, uh, on the socials, you can find me on Twitter, at NWP Chris Marks. That's K-R-I-S-M-A-R-X. Um, <clears throat> on TikTok, my TikTok is like my big thing. I, I put a lot of stuff out on TikTok. I'm uh, I'm working on being a better content creator there, but uh, you can find me at Chris Marks again, K R I S M A R X. I'm the only one on TikTok, as far as I know. Uh, you can find all the flyers for my shows, any appearances I'm doing, any companies I work for. You can find that on Facebook. Um, that's just Facebook.com/slash T is in Tom one Chris Marks. And then last one is Instagram, and uh, my Instagram is kmarks underscore nwp. Um, I'll be in Idaho on Saturday working a show for Wrestle Club at a uh, festival, a kids festival. Um, I work locally here for a company called Northwest Pro. Fantastic, family-friendly wrestling, old-school storytelling. Um, I'm also... Uh, competitor at combat pro wrestling pacific northwest is a hot marketplace right now there's a lot of different pro wrestling out here if you're a fan of it indulge because there's a lot to pick from um and then you can always find here on the on the podcast when i'm invited and then uh, i'm also helping out a buddy of mine over on uh, a podcast called turnbuckle turmoil we interview um a local or retired pro wrestler once a week over there too and again just want to sh- say I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk with you guys and share whatever insight I have. Hey, we appreciate we appreciate it too. And uh, when you're dealing with those kids, try to keep it out of the attitude era, okay? Like we can't be we can't be dropping bombs on kids. Stone cold stunner. <laughs> like I said, my the predominant company I work for is uh, is Northwest Pro. We're 100% family friendly, except one show a year, and we make sure everybody knows about that ahead of time. But uh, that's that awesome. It doesn't mean that we can't have fun, and we definitely do. Absolutely. Hey, thank you all for coming on, Chris, you especially. Um, I appreciate all you guys greatly. And like I said earlier, we were talking, XFL stands for more than just football. It's opportunity. Um, as you see here, we all have the opportunity. Um, amateur or pro level, we're all here we're representing, and we're doing good work. And so so we thank you, XFL, for the opportunity, and I'm sure everyone on this train is in the same regard. Absolutely. Lastly, I want to close by saying um, check for our podcast to come back out on Thursdays or Fridays every week. We record on Wednesday night. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, uh, please reach out to any of the guys that were on or myself, and we'll get you on. Um, as long as you have something valuable to add, um, my podcast is available on all major podcast stations except, uh, Google and Amazon right now, <clears throat> still waiting for that approval. Um, but check for us on Apple and Spotify, on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, everywhere. XFL Insider Podcast. We're also available on XFLboard.com. Check that out. XFLboard.com. And I guess that's it, fellas. Have a great night, and we'll see you next week. Look forward to the games and Snowmageddon tomorrow. <laughs> and.
and go dragons. Got to say it right at the end. I mean, you guys, I'm sure you guys all have one of your own, but I got to get no, it. Now that's a call shameless plug. Call us the lull, Drew. Yeah, call us <laughs> the lull this time, even though Drew said it wasn't. It is this week. Call was, in fact, the law for, for one time uh, over the weekend. Uh, hopefully, I don't have to say that too much, uh, but I'll end this by saying call is not the law. Drill, baby, drill. Don't don't uh, don't stand doing a certain thing and don't throw lemons <laughs> at people. Yeah, yeah, and remember, Drew, Drew it's not St. Louis. Beer stinks. It's Las Vegas is where we stand, not St. Louis. The St. Louis fans will come after you for that one. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. We'll see you next week. Yeah, bye, folks.